Pastor Ed Taylor says the church today needs to follow Daniel's example and become desperate for the things of God. We need to be desperate again. Where's our desperation? We live in a day and in an age where our nation is going rapidly headlong down a path toward destruction. We live in a day and age where churches are not deemed essential, but liquor stores and marijuana shops, they're essential. That, that's our culture. A culture that says, that calls good evil and evil good. Marriage is being redefined. Right is being called wrong. Wrong is being called right. God has been eliminated from our governments. But overall, the church needs to become desperate. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. What a year it's been. Dealing with COVID-19 and all that's come with it to a contentious election, good being called evil and evil good. Maybe like many, you've been sinking deeper into despair. Well, we'd like to suggest another path that's far better and not out of reach, and that is to become desperate for the things of God. This is modeled for us in Daniel chapter 10. Let's join Pastor Ed Taylor there now for Abounding Grace. Verse 2, when the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. So number one, he's been emotionally mourning for three weeks. Number two, he's also physically hungry because he's been fasting. And then that where he says, I've eaten no rich food and no meat or wine has crossed my lips. He's been spiritually fasting. So he's emotionally torn out. He's physically torn up. And then notice thirdly, and this is kind of a funny one, but he hasn't used any fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So he's, he's very stinky. He hasn't taken a bath. He hasn't taken care of himself. He's probably been in what, you know, a position of mourning is in sackcloth and ashes. And so here he's in a place emotionally, physically, and even outwardly. And there's a seriousness in his distress. There's a seriousness as he considers what's up ahead. And you can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. You have, well, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians, take your Bibles, turn over. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Of course, that's going to be to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And notice Paul is in a similar position where he buffets his body or he beats his body down physically. He's mourning. He's fasting. Notice, pick up with me in chapter 9, verse 24. I love this. I hope you mark it, highlight it. Paul says, and I'm reading again from the New Living Translation, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be 
disqualified. He uses that word discipline. And it's not an outward discipline that comes from someone else. It's a personal discipline. I discipline my body like an athlete. I bring it in the New King James under subjection. And there are times when our outward man just isn't as important as our inward man. And that's why fasting is a very important discipline in your life. Some people have emailed me and said, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, you should call for a church-wide fast. And my answer so far has been, I really don't feel like the Lord's led me to call a church-wide fast. But for anyone that the Lord has spoken to to fast, church, fast. And you go to our website or our app, and you can just put in the word fasting. I've done a full Bible study on what fasting is and the different types of fast. But let me give you a summary. Because I believe that if fasting has been on your heart, then it is time to fast. If the Lord calls us to a church-wide fast, then I'll obey him. But I just haven't sensed that yet. I have sensed that release of the Holy Spirit speaking to you specifically. And if you have been thinking about fasting, then for goodness sake, fast. And here's what fasting is. You ready? The fasting is the purposeful neglect of some fleshly appetite in order to be strengthened and sharpened by the Lord. And fasting will help do that. It'll help you get serious. It'll help you get desperate. Fasting, like the foregoing of a meal or a day's worth of meals or a week's worth of meals or three weeks. Imagine fasting for three weeks, asking the Lord to speak. Fasting is often the answer of God's call to us. Jot it down, Psalm 27, verse 7. It says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Fasting is a wonderful spiritual discipline that's needed in our lives. If we do it with the right motives. It's not a fancy Christian diet plan. You know, well, I need to lose a few pounds anyway. No. No, you need to lose a few of those fleshly pounds. The ones that are worrying. The ones that are fearful. The ones that are overwhelmed with the flesh. Fasting will put a, it's, it's not a diet plan, it's a discipline plan. And if there's one thing that lacks in many believers, and perhaps you, it's spiritual discipline. I just want to call you back to reading your Bible and praying every day, church. I want to call you back to seeking him early in the morning. I want to call you back. I was reading today, one of the pastors forwarded me some insights from a, from a brother Another pastor has a podcast, and his podcast was on working at home. And, and I thought some of the principles weren't just good for working at home. They were good at living at home. And, and, and the principles were, and I don't remember them exactly, but I think the first one was wake up on time, take a shower, get dressed, and, and treat your day like it's a day as under the Lord. Or, or in this case, like it's a day you're going to work because you are. You're working from home, and you're living at home. Listen, when we fast... When we set our hearts toward the Lord, he meets us. We learn there are at least three things. Again, jot them down. There are at least three things that happen when we fast. Number one, we learn of the great power of the Holy Spirit. God is ready to infuse power, baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, empowering you, filling you in and with his spirit. We learn the power that we have to deny ourselves, especially when it comes to food. There has just been a burden in my heart for, especially those serving alongside of me, to have a disciplined mind when it comes to food. 
to, to learn to live in the discipline of the Lord, not just to give in, because uh, we're going to be home a lot, uh, we're going to be around food a lot, and, and we're going to be discomforted a lot. And a lot, many people turn to food as a, as a comfort. And they don't see it as, as, you know, well, they don't see gluttony, that sin of gluttony, as bad as they see the sin of pornography. But they're both sin. They're both sins of lacking self-control. They're, they're both sins of not disciplining ourselves for the race that the Lord has called us to run. And can I just encourage you, church? Can I encourage you, pastors? Can I encourage you, leaders? Let's discipline ourselves for the race that God has set before us. And when you choose to fast, listen, I'm telling you, when you choose to fast, you will learn of the power of God to deny yourself. It's not just you. You have a power to worship deeply and to overcome temptation. Number two, when we fast, we learn our priorities get back in order. (laughs) When we start to fast, our minds are clear, course you get over the hump it takes about a day for me it's that that first evening or the second evening usually where I get these overwhelming head splitting headaches and it's like my body saying you know what Ed just take a snack you know what Ed just just get up in the middle nobody will know no we mean nobody will know I'll know the Lord will know I've made this commitment and God has given me the power of his Holy Spirit and my priorities listen my priority is not to feed myself. My priority is to please the Lord. And fasting will do that. Remember Jesus, when he taught about fasting, he didn't say it was optional. He said, when you fast. I mean, it, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. They're all in the same chapter, in the same section. And you know, we're faithful in our giving. Praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness. Thank you for everyone that supports Grace FM and Abounding Grace. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that's tithing that the giving of your tithes and offerings, may the Lord bless you and encourage you as you continue to obey. Thank you for everyone that prays. It so encourages me when I get an email or a text that says, Pastor Ed, I'm praying for you. Uh, I know when I'm monitoring the text line, you know, we have a prayer text line set up. When I'm monitoring that and I'm praying for you, it encourages me, but I'm encouraged when you pray for me, you pray for us, you pray for our families. And my priorities, like, it's not just giving, it's not just praying, but fasting. My priorities get back in order. And thirdly, when we fast, we gain a realization of the victory that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. That Jesus, the Bible says in another place that he always leads us in triumph. Check this out, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Fasting combined with prayer is powerful, and there's a real strength in fasting. Can I just say this before we go to the rest of our time today? Calvary Church here in Aurora needs to become desperate again. I believe that's a word from God for us. We need to be desperate. We we can't simply settle for the status quo. We can't just simply settle for, I'm saved, I'm a believer, I've got it made, and I'm just going to ride this out, and I'm going to ride into the sunset. The church needs to become, listen, you, the, I speak to the church at large, the, the body of church, capital C church. We need to be desperate again. Where's our desperation? We live in a day and in an age where our nation is going rapidly, headlong down a path toward destruction. 
We live in a day and age where churches are not deemed essential, but liquor stores and marijuana shops, they're essential. That's our culture. Make sure everyone has their alcohol. Make sure everyone has their pot. Make sure everyone has their drugs. That's it. That's our culture. A culture that says, that calls good evil and evil good. Marriage is being redefined. Right is being called wrong. Wrong is being called right. God has been eliminated from our governments, our classrooms, and our society. Thank God for the believers that have infiltrated our culture and our society. Thank God for Christian mayors. Thank God for Christian governors. Thank God for Christian leaders that are in every area of culture. We need you. You are the salt and the light. But overall, the church needs to become desperate. I mean, do you get upset with all the babies that are being murdered in the womb? Do you get upset that 50, 60, 70 churches close every week. Listen to that. 50, 60, 70 churches close every week. Pastors quit every day. And now with these challenges that we're facing, it could even be more. Doesn't that stir you? Your neighbor's not saved, your coworker, your boss. You're watching a nation, you're watching a culture implode. And, and what is their response? Their response is, we need one world leader. We need a one world government. We need somebody to save us. And they'll refuse. Even as you read through the book of Revelation, they will refuse to the very end. Even when great stones, they're going to cry out. In the last days, they're going to be people crying out for stones to come upon them. Instead of crying, how prideful and arrogant. I was there. I was prideful and arrogant toward the things of God. And I wouldn't have cried out to God for anything. My wife would leave me, I wouldn't cry out to God. I'd wake up in a jail cell, I wouldn't cry out to God. It wasn't until God continued the series of breakings and humblings in my life. I didn't even know what he was doing. I didn't even know what was happening. The church needs to get desperate. Prayer and fasting. May we be stirred, because that's where Daniel, come back to Daniel 10. As we're only going to look at a few more verses, but I wanted you to walk into this chapter to understand, even as a 90-year-old, This guy's desperate, man. He's desperate for the things of God. And those of you that are older, (laughs) I'm kind of in that category myself, but those of you that are older, 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years old, 50 like me, a little over 50, God has a plan for you. He's not done with you. You didn't have desperate days when you were younger. Like I'm so excited about what God's doing in the youth. I'm excited about the kids. I'm excited about what God's pouring out his spirit in all the generations, but he's not done with you. He's not done with your life. I mean, look at how much effort it was required for you to get online so you could be in church. But look at you did it. Let's get desperate for the things of God. And Daniel's here 85, 90 years old, and he's desperate. He's still fasting for three weeks. He's still in a position of mourning over the condition of his country, mourning over the condition of his people, mourning under times of great war and hardship that are right up ahead, great difficulties. And he chooses to pray and fast. He chooses not to clean himself, but to be in a position. And notice what happens on April 23rd, verse 4. Come back to Daniel 10. We'll wind down today. On April 23rd, I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River. And I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing and a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. 
and his face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. Verse 7, the men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. And then I heard the man speak. And when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Daniel has seen a lot in his lifetime. He's seen leaders come and go. He's had visions, dreams, images. I mean, the brother has been given favor. But this is the pinnacle of what he saw. He sees glory. He sees glory. It sends him to his knees. His strength left him. In verse 8, he became deathly pale. He felt very weak. What a description. What a description as he sees. And I agree with most commentators that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. What you would call a Christophany or a theophany. A pre-appearance of Jesus Christ before the womb of Mary. You say, Ed, how, how, how did you get that? Well, look at his appearance. So hold your place in Daniel. Come with me to Revelation chapter 1. And let's look at the appearance that John gets many, many years later of this glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. And let's see if they don't have some similarities. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. So we're going to compare Revelation 1. And you can compare them point by point. But check this out, what John gets when he's on the island of Patmos. Then I turned to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like white, like wool, white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves." And he held the seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. The vision of John, the appearance to Daniel, it's Jesus coming to comfort and encourage him in his distress and in his desperation. You know, the typical reaction of people that get a glimpse of glory is falling to your knees and losing it, just losing it. Again, jot it down in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember the revelation of glory that Isaiah got. You know, in chapter 5 of Isaiah, the chapter is filled with woes and judgment, woes and judgment. But he turns around and sees God. And listen, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. is Then I said, it's all over. Again, I'm reading from the New Living. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. And yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Woe is me. You know, it's chapter 5 is, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And now, woe is me. Woe is me. It's all over, is how the New Living Translation. I mean, it's all over. I've seen the glory of God. Peter cries out in the presence of Jesus. Remember, Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. John the Revelator said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if we're dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And the Bible teaches us that God wants fellowship. He wants relationship with us. He created us to enjoy him. He created us to enjoy fellowship. Now, it's a Bible word. For those of you that are new to the Bible, fellowship means to share in common. You know, it's what good friends share. You know, good friends share memories. As I was growing up, my dad didn't have a lot of uh, close friends, but he had a few. And he would often go to visit his close friends, uh, and he would take me with him sometimes as a kid. And what they would, I was so bored out of my mind while he was visiting his friends, and they would sit at the table and talk about the good old days for hours upon hours upon hours, and I was just stuck there with nobody to talk to and, and nothing to do as a kid. But I remember, now I know what God was doing. He was giving me an illustration of what intimacy, that was my dad's friend. And they shared a relationship together. They were connected in this brotherly friendship. And, it, and their friendship wasn't even in the Lord. Uh, they didn't talk about the things of the Lord. My dad didn't really, wasn't born again until later in his life. And I think of the unity that comes in friendship and fellowship. God has designed you to enjoy his goodness and to bask in his faithfulness, to grow in his grace and to love his appearing. It's what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. They enjoyed intimacy and relationship in the cool of the day and how careful we must be not to lose sight of the glory of God. We can be so uh, upset and so worried. We look at a bank account, oh, woe is me. And we look at a relationship, it's broken, woe is me. We look at a lost job, woe is me. We look at grief, as I've seen personally, and woe is me. But you know where, where that needs to be is when I see God high and lifted up. It's not woe is me of my circumstances. It's woe is me in light of the glory of God. In light of the glory of God. When we come into that place of worship, holiness, righteousness, that God is awesome. So here's Daniel. He's desperate. He's weak emotionally. He's weak physically. He's praying. He's fasting. He's in the scriptures reading Jeremiah. He's given insight of what's coming up ahead. He's been given the most glorious vision, chapter 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel, and all that God wants to do. And he's desperate. And what happens in his desperation? Jesus shows up in his glory. And so many times, you know, maybe we don't get this. Uh, maybe we'll never get this glorious revelation of God. I don't know. I'm, I'm desperate to see the glory of God. I want to see him work in my life. I, I'm, I hunger and thirst for him. And I invite you to join me. Oh, I'm not a perfect man, neither are you. You're not a perfect woman. You're not a perfect man. But God still encourages us to hunger and to thirst. And as we open his word, as we pray, and as we fast, and we give our tithes and offerings, as we serve, as we help, may we be struck by the vision of his glory and his majesty. Even if it means, like Daniel says in verse 7, I saw the vision, no one else saw it. Daniel was desperate. And in his desperation, he was seeking the Lord, wanting to stand in the gap for his country, for his people. And what's a desperate person to do? Well, desperation changes you. It'll, even change, it'll either change you to more despair, or it'll change you to seek the glory of God. We'll allow you to think that over as we draw another abounding grace to a close. Desperation changes us. 
Either we'll take the route of sinking into deep despair, or we can seek the glory of God. Today's message from Pastor Ed Taylor is aptly titled, Desperation Changes Us. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end... This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We've made it possible to donate online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. We'll get back into Daniel tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.